the only the only reason a lot of technology is monopolized rather than democratized is the bar is so high to get in but now i mean you can get more or less any type of technology fairly cheap even if it's not the utmost cutting edge tech you can still get it and tweak it hack it and make it perform stuff it wasn't supposed to and, you know find new new areas of, of use Welcome to Hyperscale, the podcast of the future. Today I'm speaking to Johan Usterland, the founder of microchip manufacturer Biohacks. A body piercer turned biotech entrepreneur, Johan is leading commercial biohacking in Sweden, looking to bridge the gap between humanity and machine and all the benefits that come with it. Today, the Biohacks RFID microchip implants allow users to unlock their homes and cars and even to pay for metro trips in certain countries. But this is just the start of what these microchips can do for us. Join us as we explore Johan's approach to human advancement. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Hyperscale. It's your host, Briar Prestige, and today I've got Johan joining me on the show. Welcome to Hyperscale, Johan. Thank you very much, Briar. So we first met when I was talking to you about how I'm getting a microchip in my hand and I still haven't gotten it, <laughs> but um, it's on the cards for December uh, as you know, I'm very excited about it. But you're obviously the CEO and founder of Biohacks. Tell us a little bit about what took you from being a body piercer into this biohacking microchip movement. Well, probably most stagnation in development in the piercing industry. And when I stumbled upon biocompatible glass with NFC circuitry, and um, we kind of had to try it because it went along the lines with what we're doing. Uh, and also, you know, technology's always been a profound, profound interest and curiosity, I guess. So once we tried it, we got it to play along with uh, an old Samsung. I had a million and one ideas and I kind of went for it. And how did it all start? So how did you take it from idea to fruition to actually implanting people under their skin? I, I guess it took, you know, less less than a week to actually get the, the implants. And I got a good friend at Red Hat who I immediately called and asked, wouldn't this be awesome? And he was like, yeah, let's try it. So I tried it on myself first two times and then performed it on him. And we got it working perfectly. So. So you use the RFID microchips. Is those is that the one? Yeah, I guess everything is radio frequency identification, but there's um, different standards. So we got the older standard on 25 kilohertz, and the newer NFC, which is in everything: uh, debit cards, passports, um, shipment tracking, whatnot, uh, which is in the the megahertz frequency. So that's the that's the more well, the latest one. Not very modern, but still. So you mentioned before that you started off by trying them in yourself twice. Do you still have microchips? And if so, which ones? I got a few, actually. Kind of failing, well, tri trial and error. So there's better placement and there's less good placement. The one I use the most is this one, right underneath the digits. And... On a daily basis, I unlock uh, unlock my computer, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 times a day. I can still go through um, office buildings. Can't ride the train anymore, I don't think. But other than that, you know, I, I got most of them. So that when you spoke about how it used to get you on the train, um, tell us a little bit about that, that period in Sweden where, where you live. You, you still live there, I believe, or you, you travel in and out of Sweden and about how a lot of society ended up getting microchips in their hand to unlock the trains. Well, there's a, there's a small group at least uh, that uses it 
everything from office buildings to, to gyms, uh, the Swedish Railway was a project where we tried pairing uh, the frequent kind of frequent flyer miles, only uh, railway points basically. So you could carry your ticket on there. You could do uh, shopping in the bistro. But that was just a trial. So I think it went on for some two years, two and a half years. Like what? What was everyone's thoughts about it? Was it government led or or? No, I mean, uh, it was a private initiative. Uh, Swedish Railways is uh, privately owned. And I guess they just saw good timing. And it was in the, in the buzz. And, you know, the, the, right, the right people were in the right place at the right time. And we, we made it into a pretty neat collaboration. But... Uh, in, in society as a whole, I'd say 30% are strictly and adamantly opposed, whilst, you know, 30% are, you know, I'd need more use for it. it. It needs to be more convenient before I do it. And the last 40% are, I can get that, give me one, without more or less knowing what to use it for prior to doing it, which is you know, curiosity and the, the right way to go, I think. So Maybe you, not do it before you learn what to use it for, but, you know, I, I like the, the energy at least. So you mentioned that yours helps you unlock things like your computer and your house and things like this. Does it also unlock, like, hotels? Like, if, if you were to stay at hotels, could you put the card, uh, the key fob? On, on it as well? It, it could. Depends on the procurement the hotel has for the, the the security system or the lock system. It needs to be compatible and, well, the, the concierge needs to know what to do, but it wouldn't be a problem. What would you say are the greatest risks when you're getting a microchip? Because when I've been talking to my friends and contacts, and I'm, I'm very excited about mine. I would already have the damn thing already if I wasn't making a documentary about it. But a lot of the questions that I've been getting are, how safe are they? What uh, materials are they made of? What happens if you like, I don't know, smash your hand against the wall and the, the glass around it breaks or it breaks or whatever it is? What are the risks? Have you had any issues with yours? You know, so I did a lot of CrossFit, and the last year I've been working a lot in the woods uh, with arborists, climbing trees through chainsaws, and physically extremely strenuous work. You, you get hit, you, know, you get scratches, you get. But I, I'd never have, I'd never had anything, uh, none of the chips, not work. And I'm a fairly active person, so I mean the resilience and the the structural integrity of a glass capsule that's small, especially being a Schultz 8625 bioglass, the kinetic energy needed to smash it when it's, you know, cushioned by, by skin and protected around, you know, bones. If, if it breaks, you'd have more serious concerns because your hand would most likely be busted real, really bad. But when it comes to the actual making it or doing it, performing it, it's an aseptic procedure, uh, just like when you get a flu shot or, you know, if you take a, take a blood sample, whatever, strictly aseptically wouldn't be, wouldn't be more harmful than piercing your ear, but it would heal five times as fast. My friend said he passed out when he got his done, but he sounded a little bit like a, you know, weak guy <laughs> you might say uh, he sounded like he passes out over a lot of things uh, what's your thoughts about when you get it done because i saw the needle it's it's quite a thick looking needle really isn't it i mean it's a it's a 2.4 so it's uh it's a bit bigger than when you donate blood but the the procedure in itself is extremely fast and as long as there's an accurate provider is done within a second so the preparations, you know, you, you, you prep the skin, antiseptics, you, you dry it, you clean it, you pinch it to kind of dedose 
or just overwhelm your brain with unnecessary information. So if you pinch for whatever, 30 seconds, just pinch like that, you know, the feeling slightly degrades over time. And when you pinch for whatever, 20 seconds, you know, you do it. And then it's just beep, boop, done. So easy to get when easy to get rid of. Okay, very cool. So when we're, we're, we're talking a little bit about Sweden and, and how they've been adopting these microchips, so I remember reading a, a news article during COVID time about how they were using these in society and I just thought it was so innovative and I guess the Swedes are a little bit like that really. They're, they're quite trusting in technology, they're trusting of the government and, you know, they're, they're quite good at adopting these new sorts of things. Um, you mentioned to me the last time we spoke about a microchip party. Can you tell us a little bit about the microchip parties? They kind of remind me of Botox parties, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, chip, chips and beer. It's like a after work concept uh, that a friend of mine came up with and said, dude, you just come up. There's there's tons of people that are interested, tons and tons of people that want to get it done. We should we should have an after work and can we call it chips and beer? I was like, that sounds great. Let's do it. So uh, we used the epicenter uh, for a couple of them. It's an um, incubator and kind of start startup uh, hotel, if you will, in Stockholm, uh, where I've done a lot of a lot of implants, and we did it. Like every now and then, uh, once a month, two two times a month, and it spread a bit. So we went around, uh, held keynotes, and you know wrapped it up with uh, some food, implants, and uh, a beer their nerves afterwards <laughs> how many people would come to these kind of parties anything from 15 to 50 very cool very interesting they they sound like very fun <laughs> they sound very different <laughs> from chips and beers i'm sure you probably had the odd person coming around expecting a different kind of chip when i think of chip i, I think of like a yeah a hot chip <laughs> but it not, it's not quite <laughs> Not, not quite, not, not as hot and not as tasty, I guess, but. Yeah, a little bit more painful. In your opinion, what are the biggest challenges or obstacles? Say we, we want to start bringing these microchips into society and we want a majority of my, uh, society using these microchips. You spoke a bit before about how some people in society are curious, they're keen to try them out. For other people, it is like, absolutely not. I would not want that inside my body. What can we do so that people start adopting them? Or I also think a question that's uh, a bit more associated with this, where do we think the future of microchips is going? When you, when you think of the, the biggest hurdles, the biggest hurdles for me personally is that there's no, you know, there's no rigorous and robust legislation and regulation or policy framework around how we manage data, people's data and digital identity and the derivatives of, of that, which is data, interaction, transaction, etc. Um, so the biggest hurdle, I guess, is me not wanting to develop further unless there is, you know, an outspoken policy framework and above all, what I'd like to see is the UN declaring uh, sovereign digital identity as a basic human right. Because if you own your data, someone's going to have to ask you to trade the data or buy the data. And that would take care of uh, quite a vast array of problems um, in the world, actually. You'd think that the, the Facebook or Meta crash tanking $400 billion overnight when, when Apple CEO declared, we're going to prompt the question if we allow, if you want to allow apps to track you, you know, cross-platform. The same night they started prompting it, Meta tanked $400 billion. And I mean, that should foster some kind of understanding around the value of data and the value it would provide you as the producer. But 
uh, we're not there as of yet. And in my experience, legislation regulation around that sort of thing takes time unless the people making money are heavily in- incentivized. So that's a kind of, uh, that, that's a tough one. And, but other than that, let's say the plethora of different regulation and legislation when it comes to actually handling a needle, using a needle, um, you know, penetrating skin, then that's, that's not a huge biggie. It's just, you know, a, a, a adapt to whatever national legislation you're working in. Whose responsibility do you think it is to help drive legislations around data? Like, do we leave this to the government? Do we leave it to big corporations? Is it startups? Like, how can we get people to, to take more responsibility when it comes to technology and using tech for good? Because I've spoken a lot about artificial intelligence and how almost surprising it is that governments aren't, yeah, cre- creating a little bit of a roadmap and getting a bit more involved in things like this. Like it's it's literally like their solution was to hold a little gathering where they only invited like the big people who are very actively involved in AI. Like they don't have philosophers, they don't have scientists. Like it's, it's, it's not a diverse community that they're pulling together. But other than that, they just sit pretty much silent on a lot of things to do with technology. And I find it very, very surprising. They're very vocal on what's going to get them seats in the next presidential election. But when it comes to tech, they are zip. Well, hasn't it been like that since 1850s industrialization, basically? An extremely homogenous group of people uh, take decisions that are, you know, in their best interests. Democratization of technology is kind of the biggest threat against the top-grossing corporations and syndicates in the world. And, I mean, I can understand being devil's advocate a bit. Okay, if you have a lot, you want to keep a lot, and you don't want to give it away. But it's just open source, really. If you make something great, fucking share it. You make some money, get some royalties, whatnot, uh, get credit back, and then open source it so people can develop on top of it. And sideways, diagonally, we're not there. Is the only the only reason uh, a lot of technology is monopolized rather than democratized is the bar is so high to get in. But now, I mean, you can get more or less any type of technology fairly cheap, even if it's not the utmost cutting edge tech. You can still get it and tweak it, hack it, and make it perform stuff it wasn't supposed to, and, you know, find new new areas of, of use. So for people listening to, to this podcast and not perhaps understanding much about RFID microchips and you speaking a bit about data now, is there any data that people like the government could get from you from your microchip? No. I mean... So there's the internet, internet of you and the internet of us. Internet of us being interacting and transacting with uh, commercial entities, uh, riding the bus. I mean, you always leave a digital footprint, whatever you do. Uh, if you use a key fob, if you use a credit card, if you send a text message, any infrastructure that you don't control and own, you're always going to leave a digital footprint, um, which is in everything. And that's, you know, how you get a psychometric profile. The difference with the internet of me or internet of you is it's your your controlled and confined area or connected area, your, your, your laptop, the door to your entrance, uh, your gym card, whatnot. So there's, there's nothing going out that you don't decide is gonna go out of your personal sphere. Make sense? So no one's gonna. No one knows when I log into my computer. No one knows when I open up a front door because it's not connected. It's it's electric. It's digital, but it doesn't transmit anything. And much like the microchip, it's a passive microchip. It doesn't have any power source, and the the size of the tiny antenna that's in there 
and the fact that it's embedded in alkaline and uh, and saline environment does, doesn't even doesn't allow it to transmit more than maximum you know a centimeter and it needs an external power source to to power it so either you use your phone or you use the the power of the batteries in the door that activates it handshakes lets you in um, the login single sign-on on my computer uses the power socket or the power from the USB the power of the reader that powers the chip and thank you for explaining that. No, it makes complete sense. I just, I knew this was a question that I get asked all the time from friends and curious contacts and things like this. When they're, they're hearing of a microchip that, that goes in my hand, one of the first things I get is, okay, what does it do? And then the second question I get is, oh, what are the risks? What happens if it breaks? You know, we're concerned about you. Are you sure this is something that you want to be doing? So I think people are very curious about them and, and it really helped to hear you explain. I don't blame them for for their first kind of opinion being slightly 1984 dystopian and Orwellian dystopia. I mean, look at look in pop culture. You know, the only type implants you ever see in Hollywood or, or anywhere else is more or less packed with explosives or an alien life form, you know, keeping tabs on anything you do and tracking you, um, CAA, NDA, you know. It, it's always an evil force in the background controlling the chip or, you know, detonating it. It is a. It is kind of creepy when you when you think of it. If you add the 1984 layer to it, but it's uh, it leaves less of a footprint than a Visa card, and only the digital footprints you want, or no footprints at all when you control when you control the entire network or network of your stuff, the local area network you're never going to leave a trace. I think like all technology, it's neutral really at the end of the day and it's it's always how people yeah. use it. And there's always the good guys out there and there's always the bad guys, unfortunately, as well. So um, I think it's important that we are asking all these questions and we are thinking ahead of the future so that the future is built with all of us in mind and without these sorts of negative dystopian things that we, we all think about sometimes. When we're thinking in the future about how we might augment our meat sacks, so to speak, this is my, my word for the human body, with technology, how, how do you picture a, a future? Better and easier. Well, well, when it comes to technology being integrated in the body, I, I see that, you know, the biggest use for, for tech going in is it, it can act like an early warning system. It can provide you with a, you know, biodata stream that you didn't know you needed and, you know, get, get key insights into what you need, what you don't need. Uh, if you want to get to a certain point uh, of physique or uh, improve, you know, it could provide with, with anything you want. Like, I'm going to get tested for HCM gene and see if I need to smack an ICD shocker. And I mean, that's a, that's a free life insurance. If my heart stops, it's going to pop me back and I'll be alive and kicking. Uh, that type of technology obviously been implemented since the, since the sixties is in, in everyday life, uh, you know, widely, widely accepted, obviously. And I think the things we get or the things we start getting proactively, we'll, we'll get there as well. I mean, if, if I were to get an ICD now, it would set me back a lot. And people would ask me, why, why would you get that? Well, if my heart stops, it's going to shock me, shock me back. Simple, free life insurance. It'll definitely get smaller smaller, more effective, and have a wider wider use. Anything from, you know, convenience to keeping tabs on your diabetes, uh, arrhythmic episodes, 
early warning systems uh, on dehydration or low oxygen saturation for elderly, it could geofence an area, and if someone walks across a line, it'll alert your uh, spouse or next in kin, as well as carry in, you know, authorizing migration of medical data, you know, keeping tabs on uh, allergies and what type of medicine you're on. Uh, and it will save, you know, tons of lives, tons of time, and heaps of insurance money. And hopefully make us a bit more happy, you know, stress, you know, cut some stress away. I think it's very interesting all the points you bring up and I think we are starting to see people adopt data and, and technology in order to improve their health span uh, a, a bit more. Obviously with Apple Watches or Whoop Watches are, are quite popular, a lot of people measuring their sleep quality and these sorts of things. And I think we will start to see these come into our body. Like at the moment they're wearables, but I think they will start to become like a little health microchip as you spoke about and things. And I certainly am very excited to see hopefully society move away from being a sick care system into this healthcare system that you've just described where we're a bit more proactive with our yeah. health, so health. So hopefully it doesn't reach the point where we even get sick Whereas at the moment it feels a bit backwards. We we wait to get sick and then we we try and fix ourselves. Remove the symptoms instead of the root. Exactly. Well, you don't get you don't make any money by curing people. I guess be a better society for sure. But I mean, uh, there's definitely going to be a few obstacles with managing lobbies of other sectors and because really microchip implants would intersect a lot of a lot of you know exist, existing sectors improving and optimizing uh, a lot but also then cutting away the need for the relics what other things could you think of microchips being used for? So payments, I think payments is coming in very soon, isn't it? Or it has come in? Isn't Mike? I mean, there's, there's, been, there's been pilots. Yeah. But yeah, they're, they're, they're quite limited and the hardware needed for those concepts have been slightly bigger than ideal, I'd say. But, I mean, it, it all comes down to who, who you can make a deal with. If you have a big bank, they, you know, they provision tokens. Those tokens are accepted by Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, and whatnot. Then it's a completely different ballgame. Um, they can bash it out with 250 million retailers. Easy. But payment has definitely always been kind of top of the top of the questionnaire when when can i uh, pay with this like will, will i be able to pay with this like well you know i can pay for the bus or the train or you know uh, a protein bar at the gym uh, but for point of sale terminals around the world to accept it uh, this is going to take some time but definitely that's EID will be the first the first to go in. Uh, with EID, you provision what you share, if you want to share it, and how you share it, and to whom. Um, I think that's that's one of the key things. But we we need to come uh, you know a, a bit further when it comes to digital sovereignty or digital identity, a sovereign digital identity. Because unless you own it, you don't control it. So, I mean, there's a there's a trade-off. What's the convenience provided against what am I giving away? 
How do you think we can encourage this more other than lobbying movements and things like this? Because everyone I, I speak to, whether it's on the longevity side of things and people who are trying to extend the, the, the lifespan of humans by solving aging at the molecular level through to, I don't know, people in cybersecurity talking about privacy. Like, the, I guess the one thing that, that everyone seems to have in common and the, the one thing I can really think that we all need to do is just ha having a bit more awareness, you know, getting the public to speak up and to, to, to get excited about these kind of topics as well because ultimately I think it does, well, part of it does sit with, with governments and part of it sits with corporations and then you've got startups and stuff like this. But, but how can we really, like, edge this stuff along and create meaningful impact because it just seems so stuck right now with a lot of things. Yeah, I think to, to make uh, the public more aware, you need to put it in the public's eye. I mean, ha having um, urban innovation labs, uh, which are open and not exclusive or not geographically confined to out, outback, sort of, but I don't know. I mean, media, media controls what you know. I mean, that's all, that's always an issue. Like how interested are people in knowing when they've already, you know, forfeit and traded off their entire psychometrics and all the data they're ever producing whilst having to buy an expensive ass phone to produce the data. They're not only, you know, paying big money for, for a phone to produce data, uh, they're, they're getting the derivatives harvested and they're not earning anything for it. So I, I don't know. I don't get that equation. So if you really want to stir things up, I guess you tell people how much they're, they're valued, how much their data is worth and how many trillion dollar companies there are out there just making making pay by harvesting your data. It's very interesting, isn't it? And um, it's it's just, it's it's interesting that there's still, like I feel like we're going around in circles when it comes to this whole data conversation really, isn't it? Because remember when we thought after the whole Facebook debacle about how they managed our data, we thought I think it would all get sorted, but... Not really. Yeah, yeah, Cambridge Analytica. I was like, this is an open-ended. This is finally something, something's going to happen. Because I've been saying that for the last, whatever, 15 years. Uh, the this, this second, one of the big ones takes just the slightest step towards individual privacy, data privacy, the rest are going to fall or follow. And, you know, in less than 24 hours, Meta tanked $400 billion overnight just because Apple prompted and asked, do you want this app or do you want to allow this app to track you cross-platform and or in other apps? I was like, of course not. That, that single thing. I mean, that again, that should foster uh, an understanding of just how much you're giving away or how much you're paying to give away tremendous value because phones aren't cheap. And you're just producing, grinding and grinding and grinding out data every single day. And you're not getting any for it, anything for it. Well, you get an invoice every month. But, uh, I guess it just, I don't think it's fair. So we came across one of your TED Talk sessions that you did, and I think it was back in about 2017. And one of the things that interests me the most was when you said that people will continue using technology to uh, evolve with everyday convenience as we see you using your microchip and things like this. I honestly do think that in the future, our phones will start to become more integrated with ourselves and that we'll probably laugh looking back that we were heads bent looking over our phones or sitting on our laptops and entering data into Excel. How do you think the... The, the world is going to merge more and to become a little bit more seamless and integrated? Well, it depends on how far how far out. Let's talk like, but, I don't know, let's talk like 200 years or 100 years from now. Oh, 200 years? Yeah, let's, let's go super far into the future. 
Well, um, I'd like to see just a, a single, single, you know, implanted lens with a small in, implant just above the nape of my neck connected to the skull bone. Handling anything, then, then the rest is AR. So the world would, worlds might be coming out to you in this, this physical world. Do you think your phone might be up? I don't know. Oh, you wouldn't need a phone. When I say I phone, mean, I more mean augmented reality. You have an implant. No, an implant could uh, interpret synaptic language. So I think of a person I want to call, and I calls it. And with AR, I focus. It, pro, it, it would prompt, do you really want to call this person? And you focus with your eye on that point to accept, and it happens. It's not that far off, actually. It'd be hella expensive, but it's not. Technology's there. Just needs to be compiled and, you know, put together. You know, you pull the right people together in one place and you make something awesome. Do you think that AI is evolving quite fast? Because sometimes when I speak to people, they say, oh, yeah, come 2045, we're going to start to see singularity. For other people, they say that's a little bit, you know, it's um, not quite there, going to be I, there. I, I'd say that's more or less not beyond quantum computing, but quantum computing needs to be in an entirely different place to fully recompile or migrate everything that your brain is, which is, you know, a, a hot mix of old, non-consistent and non, uh, you know, not, not correct memories and damaged, you know, it, everything is used. So for something to migrate an entire person or brain or collection of almost correct memories up to date would be extremely difficult. But I guess you could move most but not give it, I don't think it would be sentient in a, in a good while, but it's definitely going to happen, but not in a hundred years. I was speaking to someone and they were saying that uh, algorithms or humans' data is actually a little bit more accurate at predicting human decisions rather than the human themselves because sometimes we're such emotional beings that even though all of the data would say, hey, yeah, that's the decision that this person would make, we're so emotional that that sometimes it could go the complete opposite direction. Um, and then I was speaking to somebody else recently. You'd really like him. His name's Gray Scott. Have you heard of him? Yeah. Yeah, he, he was speaking a lot about AI consciousness and um, how... In, in the future, because consciousness is, when, when we're looking at AI, we could think it has consciousness even though it doesn't because they would be saying how they're feeling or they'd be making decisions or whatever. And um, it just really made me start to question like consciousness as a whole and then what happens if these AIs are like upset, your digital twin is upset about something, then what kind of laws do we need to have in place? Like who gets what sort of thing? I mean, when you look at it, depending on how you, even 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 if it's not sentient, it's aware uh, on some level. I mean, I did tests uh, where AI, it was supposed to get through uh, I'm not a robot test. And it actually connected with another person online, lied, and got it to do the captcha for it. You know, it, it used the, the information it had uh, to solve a task, which is not consciousness per se, but, you know, it's ever evolving. And there's always going to be a ghost in the shell, I guess. And it's um, just hope it ends up being good and not as biased as the programming and the algorithms, you know, making it. It's a, it's a big topic. It's a very big topic. Yeah, sentient, not really. Emotionally, it's never going to be more emotional than the bias 
putting being put into the algorithms. And I think at the end of the day, we could say that it's it's always going to be a reflection of the human race, really, isn't it? Whether it's AI, the algorithms, data, whatever, like there's always going to be good and there's always going to be bad, right? Yeah, I mean, hopefully an AI uh, would, you know, just ingest all the data that's ever been produced and be a perfectly objective entity used for for guidance rather than anything else. Uh, but I mean, it's it's always up to who who gets there first. I mean, any you know, no side sees themselves as as the enemy, right? It's always. I'm the good guy. I'm doing this because the other side is like, Hey, I'm the good guy. I'm only doing this because, and uh, it's always going to be like that. So having, um, and an entity all knowing semi all knowing super smart, mega best and everything is always going to be perceived as a threat. So whoever's not controlling it, if no one's controlling it, everyone's going to see it as a threat because when it comes down to it, people are pretty stupid. You know, they're motivated by power or money or, you know, the drive is, you know, I, I need to survive another day or I want to keep whatever I have or I, I want more than I have. Um, and that's kind of the basics of human nature. Um, so it would probably end up in an AI robot wars like Terminator predicted anyway. And in in the long run, it's humans are going to feel threatened. And if no one's controlling it, who's controlling it? If it's sentient and self-controlling, why wouldn't it see us as a, a cancer on Earth? And to enable sustainability, you need to depopulate with 90%. It's a pretty dystopian view of things, but I certainly hope it's different. But logically, I, I can't see how it wouldn't be just that. I think it's very interesting. I like to spend a lot of time on Reddit, listening to the, the different views about this topic, because I think you've got on one side, you've got the hard art utopian people who are saying like, yeah, we'll never have to work in the future. We'll... AI will do all of our work for us. Like we'll never have to sit at our laptops, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, on the other side of things, you've got this dystopian and it's like there's never any middle ground on on Reddit. It's these these two, you know, sides warring, so to speak, about this topic. But I, I think it's really interesting. I think we will see um, a little bit of both. I think that there will be pe people that use AI for good and there'll be people that use AI for bad. And, and I think that that ultimately brings us down to what we were discussing earlier. And it's about, okay, what do we need to be doing now in order to prepare for the future? Like, let's not all bury our heads in the sand, like governments, like, let's start to think about things. Yeah, I'd, I prefer a utopia in front of uh, dystopia any, any, any time of the day. And I mean, it, we could really get there. I mean, with resources and ingenuity and technology that were that are in abundance already, we could have that done in a week. We just need so, someone really driving, everyone working towards the same vision, just like a a company CEO. We kind of need that from the the world, really, don't we? Alignment. Yeah, and they need to stick stick to their guns. I mean, there's there's been philanthropists, you know, throughout the years that have shown extreme aptitude for certain things, but they've always succumbed to either greed or market dictatorship, which is you do this or you might not have a license to do whatever you're doing uh, in the near future or, well, just nationalize it, take it over. That's it. 
So, I mean, there's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty heavy lobby, but the democratization uh, of, of technology was the first step, which we started seeing, you know, 20 years ago when, when startups uh, and uh, exponential growers reshaped an entire industry overnight. And I mean, that happened on numerous occasions. So it's, it's not a, you know, it's not a long stride from that saying it, we can change the world with technology. I've been doing a lot of research into transhumanism since I started my journey with my microchip and my documentary and things like this. And I really appreciate their, their values around how we can actively guide humanity. You know, we can make decisions today in order to prepare for a future. And I, I just think that that's such a, a cool thing. And I'm like, well, why don't we do more of this? It's like what we were saying before about having a healthcare system rather than a sick care system, things like this. Yeah. It, it all seems so backwards sometimes. I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about you have to tweak the global narrative somewhat. Instead of preparing for doom and disaster, why don't you prepare people for something less gloomy? Like, what if we do this? It could look like that. Instead of you have to do this to avoid this, but there's no... There's no two sides to the coin in, in that narrative. It's either you do this or we're fucked. And then we'll stay in status quo. The status quo isn't that good either. So why don't we aim for something else and completely tweak the narrative and saying, well, how about every country gives 20% of their defense budget? And we have... Uh, badassery AI dictating what those resources will go to to make um, the biggest impact possible. It's never going to, you know, who, who's, who's going to start dipping into their defense bodies? It's not going to happen. I was Which just... is a shame because there's, there's tons, truck tons of money in defense budgets. Oh, yeah. I was reading uh, when I was doing research around curing aging, I was reading about the mere millions that are poured into trying to solve aging at the molecular level, which would stop a hell of a lot of old age diseases we're currently facing, such as cancers and Alzheimer's and things like this, and ultimately having this life of suffering. And then I was also reading about the trillions of dollars that are getting poured into nuclear weapons. And I'm just thinking, like, the, the difference between the... The, the two things was just extravagant. And then, of course, all of the money that goes into an insurance and cleaning up yeah. from all these sick people that we've got, it's like, well, why wouldn't we just redirect a little bit of that budget and treat, and treat the root of the cause? Yeah, because they're not... I mean, the biggest questions and the biggest problems aren't really that huge when you think of it. All you need is resources enough to show it. And... Different, different narratives, um, heavy lobbies that, you know, it would feel slightly less than ideal for them if you didn't buy it. aspirin or add everything. They're natural stuff for that. You can chew a leaf and have the same effect more or less, but uh, not enough people making, making bank of it if you can do it yourself. And that's, I guess that's the, the biggest problem. People want to keep what they have and they want to get more than what they have rather than kind of distribute knowledge and, you know, make it better for everyone else outside of the top floor. So what would your advice be to me, someone who is about to get my microchip? I'm very excited about it. December's the month. <laughs> I'm going to go to America and I'm going to get it on in there. What other things do you think that I should be doing, whether it's um, biohacking? Um, is there any supplements you take that you think I should experiment with? Or is there any more technology things you think I could start to look into? 
Um, so I've been, uh, you know, fiddling around and uh, tweaking a bit with uh, vibro tactile um, uh, skin. So basically, more or less like a QR code you put on the skin that induces the the receptors in the skin. They they translate it into something they need to do. So they tell the brain, this is what's up. And yeah, drug free and just giving your giving giving the skin receptors a code and that transfers to the brain and brain executes. It's pretty cool. So so wait, you have a QR code. Where where is it? Where would I put it? It's not a QR code. It's actually it's a patch like that. Okay. Oh, a patch. A, okay. Yeah. You can see it as like a yes. ridges. Yes. Yeah. That's it. Oh. Okay. So you just wear that. You wear There's it every day. Yeah, different ones depending on what. Like focus, balance, performance. Um, brain is easy. It's all math. And called frequency. Okay, cool. I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, hit me up. I'll send some. I'll send you some. There. Oh, that would be amazing. Really, really cool. Okay, Drug perfect. Free. Cool. I'll send you my address after this. Excellent. I look forward to wearing it. People are going to be like, "What's that?" I'm going to be like, "Oh, scan my microchip. Look at my patch." <laughs> <laughs> Soon you'll see me. The next time I see you, I might have a neural link or something sticking out of my head. I'm actually going to London tomorrow to interview uh, the world's first cyborg couple. I'm going to have coffee in their house in Reading. So that should be very pleasant. All right. Nice. And I've, I've got Sweden on, on my cards for next year, I think around February time. So Georgia and I want to come and we ideally want you to throw us a chip party. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll throw a chips, beer and chips party. Beer and chips party. Yeah, exactly. So we'll definitely be hitting you up for that. That will be so much fun. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. My pleasure. My pleasure.